the cloud. Perfect. I'm recording in progress. So, okay, awesome. Uh, hello, we are Anna Hill and Sage Hamilton here for the Colorado Springs LGBTQ plus oral history project to share individual stories surrounding identity and the LGBTQ plus community within Colorado Springs. We're incredibly grateful for your time and contribution to the Colorado Springs LGBTQ plus oral history project. If you ever wish to not answer a question presented to you, you are not obligated in any way to answer and we will move swiftly on. Our note taker for today is Sage Hamilton. Hi, my name is Sage. I'll be transcribing this interview today. I go by she, her pronouns. I'm a student at the University of Colorado Springs, Colorado Springs. I am currently a first year student studying English and psychology, and I'm very excited to hear your story and learn more about your life. I will be turning my camera off just so you don't see me typing away, but I'm very sure. excited to meet you. Likewise. Um, my name is Anna, and I'll be our interviewer for today. I go by she, her pronouns, and I'm a second year biology major here at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. Um, and I'm so appreciative of your presence here today and excited to get to speak with you. Likewise as well. Um, to get us started off, what is your full name and how do you prefer to identify? It could be pronouns or whatever your individual um, identity is. Uh, my, my full name is Colleen Gilligan. Uh, I grew up with a nickname Boo, so I've carried that throughout my life. So uh, most people in my life know me as Boo. And uh, I've always identified as she. Is there uh, an interesting story behind the, the Boo nickname or was it sort of an affectionate name? Uh, yeah, my dad gave it to me when I was very young. Uh, I was a very shy and sensitive child, so I cried a lot. And he just called me his little boo-hoo. And over the years, he dropped the who and left the boo. Oh, so. that's very special. <laughs> I love that. Um, how old are you? I'm 62. Wonderful. If you had to describe yourself in three words, what would you choose to describe yourself as? Um, very um, positive, uh, outgoing, and fun. Wonderful. Uh, what do you think are some of your best attributes, sort of reflecting on, on yourself? Um, I would say um, I have a very strong stamina, um, very uh, self-driven, um, very self-motivated. Um, again, I like to look on the positive things in life. Um, and just, um, I would say I'm, I'm pretty compassionate uh, for others, probably because of my journey. Mm -hmm. you know, it's one of those things where you walk in someone else's shoes, you kind of feel a little bit more compassionate for others when they're, when they're walking that journey as well. So, Yeah, definitely. Do you think those attributes have sort of come about from your growing up or do you think you've always been that way? Well, I had a very good uh, family, uh, very good childhood. Uh, experience. Um, we had a large family. I was one of seven and um, my parents uh, really instilled a lot of good qualities in all of us kids. So uh, anyone that knows me knows my siblings. We're all alike and uh, we're all good citizens and good people. So I, I think a lot of it came from them, but I think a lot of the self-driven, um, the compassion, um, those kind of things probably came through my journey as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. On sort of the topic of your childhood, can you tell me a little bit about um, growing up in your family and your childhood overall? Yeah, uh, like I said, I had seven, well, seven up of us. Um, there were four boys and uh, three of us girls. And uh, my, my, Two, my, my older sister and my younger sister uh, kind of hung out together. Um, my, myself and my brother, my older brother, he was a year older, we hung out together. And then my, my other two brothers, uh, my oldest two brothers um, were step, step uh, brothers. So they were a little bit older and they weren't really part of our growing up, but they were, they were there on and off. Um, and then we had a younger uh, brother who was a few years apart from us. So 
like I said, my, my two sisters used to hang out together and my brother and I hung out together. So my sisters were obviously very doing the girly things and the dolls and all that. And, and since I was hanging out with my brother, I was very tomboyish. I did a lot of the boy things and, um, you know, we did all the, the things with, um, you know, guns and uh, we had a lot of animals. We had a small farm, so we did a lot of stuff with the animals, um, fishing, that kind of thing. So I kind of grew up. Um, probably doing more of the masculine type things. Um, and then when my brother, um, we got older, you know, obviously he started getting interested in cars and girls. Uh, we kind of started growing a little bit of a park. And I stayed with a lot of animals and uh, I got into arts and crafts. Um, I, uh, I was a saver, so I saved any money that I made and bought myself a motorcycle, bought myself a horse, you know, those kind of things. And then uh, I was very outdoorsy, so I, I spent a lot of time outdoors. And then I got involved with uh, Girl Scouts and 4-H and that kind of thing. So um, so that was pretty much uh, how my childhood evolved. Mm -hmm. Where did you grow up? Uh, Central New York. It's a little mm -hmm. town called Lyle, New York. It's very close to the um, Pennsylvania border, about 30 minutes from Pennsylvania, oh. about an hour south of Syracuse. Wow. And it's and very, I was just gonna say it's very, um, very much in the country. It was like, the, the population today is, is 238 people. Uh, not a whole lot there, but it was, it was mainly dairy farms when I was growing up. Wow. Did you live there for a significant part of your childhood? Yes. Or did you move um, around? I, I, I was there until, well, I, I, I grew up there uh, and graduated uh, at 17, and then I went to a business school in Syracuse, and then I worked in um, Binghamton, New York for about three years before I decided to move to Colorado. Oh, wow. Yes. And what made you decide to move to Colorado? Um, one of my older brothers, one of my stepbrothers uh, was in Vietnam War. And he was stationed at Fort Carson. And after he got out of the service, he had he liked Colorado so well. He would uh, live in Manitou Springs. And he and my other brother decided to move out here. And when I was in high school, my folks said that they were going to uh, do a road trip out here. And I was the only one that wanted to come with them. So I did. And I fell in love with the area at 17. I knew this is where I wanted to be when I when I made my first move and uh, at 21, I did, I moved out here. In the meantime, my brother had moved back to, I think it was Connecticut. He had met a girl who, uh, her parents lived in Connecticut. So he moved back there, but um, I started my life here. Yeah. At 21. Yeah, that's, we, we definitely understand that being in a, a similar age group and, and going through the moving process. Um, right. Can you tell me a little bit more about your your hobbies as a child? Particularly, I find the the animals and the and the farming something that is it's very notable and, and sticks out to me. How that influenced you? Well, I've always been an animal lover. I still am. Um, uh, we, like I said, most of those uh, the families there had farms, dairy farms. Ours was in a dairy farm, but we had everything, every animal you could imagine from time to time. So we had ducks and geese and chickens and sheep and horses and um, rabbits. My brother and I, again, we're, I was in 4-H and so was my brother. And we started out with two rabbits and ended up with 52. So <laughs> we used to take them to the county fair and sell them, you know, when they were bunnies and and we would sell some of the chicks at the county fair. And um, yeah, so it, yeah, animals have been a very big part of my life. And like I said, even today, um, we always have dogs, I'm a dog lover, but um, I also had a business here in town uh, several years ago, it was a pooper scooper service. So I got to be around dogs all day long. So I totally enjoyed that. <laughs> Definitely sounds like the dream for a dog lover. <laughs> yeah. Um, what were some of your favorite childhood memories sort of looking back? Um, I think again, just um, 
being that I grew up in the country, uh, all of us spent a lot of time outside. You know, and they always say that about kids growing up these days. You know, they're always indoors or on their laptops or on their phones. Where we were always outside, you know, playing games or riding the horses or, like I said, we had a pond, so we got to swim and, um, you know, always, always doing things on inner tubes. And then during winter, when it was frozen over, we were ice skating. So I think a lot of it was just, um, just being outside and enjoying everything that comes with that. Yeah, definitely. Um, growing up, can you share a little bit about whether religion played an aspect or maybe your family was more secular? How did that play out? Um, my father was Catholic. Um, my mother, I think, was either Methodist or Protestant. I can't remember. But when she married dad back then, she had to take on the Catholic role. Um, but they weren't super religious. Uh, we would go to church typically on the holidays, Easter, Christmas, those kind of celebrations. Uh, but my dad's mom, uh, she was very strong Catholic. Uh, so uh, she didn't have any, any uh, she only had dad uh, as far as her children there um, in town. So she asked my older sister and I to spend the weekends with her um, so we would go up on Saturday nights because she wanted to take us to church. So uh, I, I struggled with that as a child because I didn't, I felt like I was forced to do it. I didn't really want to do it. Spending time with grandma was, was fine, but um, to be forced to do that every weekend. And again, there was seven of us, but she chose two of us that she wanted. And I think that was because she had a friend, uh, Thelma, who had, Two boys that she always took to her grandsons that she took to church and grandma wanted to kind of feel the same so she wanted to take her two granddaughters so to me that was kind of a competition thing that we got stuck in the middle of and mm -hmm. uh anyway that that continued through um a good part of high school um so you know i i knew at some point while i was going to uh, church every Sunday and going through the catechism and all that stuff. And it didn't fit me. And mm -hmm. I just, it just, it wasn't what I found to be true to me. So even like, a, I would say maybe, I don't know, 14 or so, I probably knew that that wasn't my path. Um, you know, and my folks just wanted to keep peace in the family. So they kind of asked, us to do that for a while but you know when I got to be older and I didn't I, I, I felt strong enough to stand up for myself I told my parents I don't want to do it anymore so they they obliged and they, they let us uh go back to doing what we wanted to do and not have to to be uh, obligated to be with grandma every every weekend yeah they sound very supportive and 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 pretty in tune with you would you say that they definitely were is supportive of you throughout your whole life or do you think that they sort of listen to you as you got older? Um, I would say that they were very supportive uh, most, of, most of my life. Um, I think when I started to realize that something about me was different in high school, um, when I started to have interest in girls instead of boys, um, it was back then it wasn't a spoken thing, you know, and I didn't even know what gay was back then. Um, you know, there were signs, people call me a tomboy all the time and, you know, made jokes and things like that. So, um, I don't think my parents understood as much as I didn't. And uh, I think it was difficult for them because I think they saw the signs, but we didn't speak about it. Nobody spoke about it. Um, so... I moved, when I did move to Colorado, I felt like I could be myself and be free. And I started to, to meet community here. Um, and then I, cause I moved out here in 81. So I think by 80, like 84, well, it's probably 85. Um, I had gained enough confidence in who I was at that time and came to terms with the fact that I was gay. That, um, I felt it was time to be up front with my, my parents and my family. Well, I, I started out with my parents first. Um, 
and, you know, and again, back then, you didn't know what anybody's reaction was going to be. You know, you, you thought your parents uh, loved you enough, but of course, it's always a fear when somebody comes out what that response is going to be. So, um, so for, for many years leading up to that point where I did tell them, um, I had isolated myself. I didn't go back home. And it was very hurtful to my folks because they didn't understand why I wasn't, you know, um, still being um, in communication with them or close to them. And it was basically just because I, I was very uncomfortable with it. You know, it was always the questions about, well, have you met anybody? Are you dating anybody? You know, what's going on in your life? And I had to tell lies. I had to lie about everything. It's like, that's not me. I'm a very truthful person. So when I had to lie about who I was and what I was doing in my life, that was very painful. So I came to terms one day and I said, you know, it's time. And I didn't have it in me to talk to my mom one-on-one, but I wrote her a letter. And she wrote me a letter back in response. And she was very accepting, very accepting, both her and dad. And then over time, um, it, I think my mom talked to my sisters and then it just kind of spread throughout the family and everybody was very accepting. So it, it, it reestablished our relationships again. And then uh, she came out to, mom first came out to visit uh, my friends. And it's so funny because, um, you know, I think people, especially back then, thought that there was a certain, that gays were a certain type of people, you know, <laughs> and that they're all going to be, you know, bull dykes and, you know, all this stuff, you know, rough and tough. And after my mom met everybody that, that I, I hung out with, she's, before she left, she said, you know, I really like all your friends. They're very normal. <laughs> they're very normal people. Yeah. So, so anyway, that opened up a whole um, beautiful relationship again. So my mom and dad used to come out and visit. And then my, individually, my family members would come out and spend time here. So uh, yeah, it, 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 it's, been, it's been good since I, I came out. Very good. And how and old were you? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I was going to say, how old were you when you sort of sent that letter and came to terms? Um, I was about 26. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, but I was just going to say that uh, even, even now, all my niece and nephews, you know, are very accepting. Uh, even their, their, their kids are accepting. In fact, um, my wife and I went back for the first time. When we first met, I took her home to meet the family. And I told her at one point, we've, we've kind of felt like we were um, um, uh, Ellen and, and her partner because everybody, all the kids just wanted to, to be around us. It was like, oh, there's Blue Robin, there's Blue Robin, you know? So we felt like we were celebrities almost, <laughs> which is such a, a different change from what, you know, I experienced growing up. So. Yeah, definitely. From that isolation to the, the, the full acceptance. Full acceptance. Yeah. Um, I th- uh, what was the question that I just had in my brain? Um, did you ever feel com- confined by those stereotypes growing up or sort of the idea that the general public had about what LGBTQ plus people looked like, or did you sort of find your own path? Um, let's see, that's a good question. I would say, um, you know, like I said, I was always very tomboyish, so I, I did wear a lot of, you know, flannel shirts and jeans and stuff like that, um, you know, which a lot of girls do in the country anyway on farms, but um, that's, just, that's just what I felt comfortable in. Um, I remember when I was really young going to even my first day of kindergarten, <clears throat> you know, back then girls always wore dresses. You had to wear dresses. In my first day of kindergarten, I had come downstairs with shorts on and my mom's like, oh, no, 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 no. You go right back upstairs and you put on a dress. But I put a skirt on over the shorts so that I could go to school. So that I kind of kept my identity, but it was underneath what was expected of me so yeah. um but yeah uh i would say um 
again, you know, at that age, you're really, really confused about um, your your identity and your feelings. So there were times where I felt comfortable um, following the typical stereotype. And other times I was more rebellious and said, no, I, I want to be, I want to be like this. But, um, you know, it always caused a lot of tension, a lot of um, uncomfortable feelings when, when you knew people were looking at you or thinking of you differently and, and uh, you were just trying to be yourself, but you kind of felt like the odd man out. Yeah. And did you feel like the, like society as a whole was talking about LGBTQ plus individuals or was it something that you didn't really get exposed to? No, I would say back then, um, you know, it wasn't, especially in a small town like that, it really wasn't something anybody talked about. So I didn't hear a whole lot. In fact, until I, I started to figure out where I was at, I would go to the library and read books so that I could learn more about it because there was no conversation about it. If there was any comments made, they were always negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like um, I, did, I did have a girlfriend in high school um, it was a very secret relationship, obviously. Um, and of course, I, I knew people talked behind our backs about it. Um, we weren't out, but there were obvious signs that we were very close. And uh, my mom even confronted me one time and said, you know, people are talking about you and they think you're lesbian. And I just, I didn't know how to deal with it, but I just said, let them think what they want to think, mom. Mm-hmm. And that's all I said to her. So, um, so yeah, it was... It was something where on the down low, it wasn't very socially outspoken, was it? No, no, no. no. Was it something that was politically spoken about at the time or was it something that was not really acknowledged by political figures at the time? No, no, it wasn't acknowledged. No, yeah. When you first moved to Colorado, did you, did you find a lot of LGBTQ plus resources or communities right away, or did it sort of happen over time? Well, I think I was fortunate enough to um, get a job fairly soon after I moved here. Uh, it was probably maybe three or four months after I moved here. Um, the semiconductor industry was fairly new, um, and they were hiring you know, um, several hundred to a thousand some people. And I got hired on there. And obviously with a a company that size, you have more exposure to more people. And I was just fortunate enough that some of my coworkers were gay. And we started developing friendships. And as I developed those friendships, obviously, you know, our circles expanded. And so um, I started to feel uh, like a sense of community was was being created because I, I never had that, never had a support group, never had anybody to talk to about that stuff. So it was finally like, oh, finally somebody that's like me, you know, you know that I, it's not just me. And, um, I, you know, just, just to start actually feeling like, like we were, again, normal people. Yeah, that, that sort of normality that surround, do you think that still sticks with you now? You feel accepted and and sort of more yeah very much normal so. in quotations yeah. yeah and the good thing is that I mean it took a while even at work because this is back in the early 80s um I mean we had our circle of people but we'd also developed you know friendships with straight people but you know we, we couldn't even be out then with them um so it was still kind of a a, a secret life I think people again probably knew but it never was spoken about so um it was always this separation of you know my personal life and then my work life but in the 90s um I think there was a shift it was I think you're starting to see more about that because um you know the internet wasn't there still in the 90s but um you know just I think because we were in a larger city than where I grew up. Um, there was more opportunity again for um, 
just people becoming more acceptance accepted of um, you know the LGBTQ community, but um, yeah, I didn't. Uh, I don't think I, I came out to a lot of my straight friends um, probably until the late nineties, mid nineties. Mm -hmm. uh, but they were very accepting because we had already developed a friendship. We already developed these relationships, very deep relationships, and um, and again, they kind of knew. So it was just a matter of like. Sometimes you tell somebody and they go, well, I knew, I knew all along. It's like, well, why don't you say something? Well, why don't you say something? <laughs> you know? like, yeah. So you're both uncomfortable on either side. And maybe we should have spoke about it a long time ago. But, um, but yeah, I've, uh, you know, the, the companies that I work for, uh, large companies, a little bit more progressive, they've all um, accepted um, uh, all, all people, all genders, uh, or sexual orientation. So I've been very blessed to be in, in those type of uh, environments. Um, and then again, all the people uh, that have come into my life have, have just been very accepting. Uh, so my family, uh, my friends, my coworkers, um, you know, and, and it, that, that helped me build my confidence um, because, you know, when you change jobs and you gotta start all over, do you start all over, you know, in that, that secret, life again or do you just you know tell it like it is and hope for the best and I felt in the last um two jobs that I had uh I would say it was the early 2000s that I just went in and said look this is who I am and mm -hmm. um, and, and just was myself and said you know um you know I talked about my my wife my ex-wife um and uh the good thing is, again, these, these companies were already very, um, very in the progressive state and already had gay employees, so it wasn't a big deal mm -hmm. and uh, made it much easier to to just feel again very accepted in. Yeah, very very normal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, but now, yeah, I'm. Somebody just said, you know, even even now, it's like contractors come to the house, you know. You know they'll say, well, where's your husband around? I was like, no, but my wife is, mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, I, I don't feel like I want to hide anymore. You know, that's, that's not what, where I'm at anymore in life. So. Yeah. Do you ever feel like when you encounter those heteronormative stereotypes, do you ever feel again, that sort of isolation or do you feel like sort of a power in, in your and your response like, well, no, my, my wife is, or, or things like that. I think it depends on the situation and the individuals, uh, maybe mm -hmm. where you're at. Um, I, I could give you an example. Uh, we went, my wife and I went to um, Grand Junction to the um, Palisade Peach Festival. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had these grand visions of what it was gonna be. And when we got there, um, yeah, it was a pretty small event compared to what we had envisioned and very rural, very conservative uh, type community. And we took, they took buses from um, the parking lot over to the, the parade or the festival area. And uh, we got on the bus and, you know, it was, you could tell it was all eyes on us. Like we were the only two walking down the bus and everybody just kind of watched us walk by and everybody's turning around in the bus, mm -hmm. you know, you can see the whispers. And it's like, so we just sat there and thought, okay, there's no reason to say anything, but you just, you do, you, you kind of feel like, wow, why am I such an obstacle just because I'm walking down the aisle, you know, and this is who I am. Mm -hmm. Not that we stood out, like we weren't, pierced up or tattooed or anything like that we thought we were fairly normal again but I think it's just because it was two women and you know I had short hair and all that it's just I don't know if it probably just mm -hmm. it just set the stage for people to make their their judgments yeah but, um, but I mean there's other times where yeah it's very easy just to say mm -hmm. you know walk into a brewery and you know say yeah my wife my wife will be right back but she and I are going to have you know a couple of beers you know and it, it just I think it just depends on, on where you're at I mm -hmm. guess safety is probably in the back of your mind how safe do you feel to, to be yourself yeah. still today and that's unfortunate mm -hmm. but yeah especially with you know a lot of the recent political events do you 
ever do you ever feel like you need like extra coping skills or, or protection going out or, or do you feel that you just carry yourself the same whether no matter what's going on in the world I think at this point in my life I just carry myself mm-hmm. the same definitely I don't know how I would feel if I was young again but I think because of you know it's like you battled all your life it's like I'm tired of battling I'm just gonna yeah. be just gonna be you were there any of those when you first moved here and and at your job were there any relationships that were particularly formative that helped you grow as a person like oh this person taught me this or that you felt really helped you come into a mindset of your own um you know I think a couple of my closest friends um I would have to say heavily influenced me because um you know they were they were very professional people um very um again good good hearted people caring people um very intelligent people and um it just they they gave me confidence i guess that's the biggest thing i got out of that is confidence that here these people are very successful people um and they're in the same boat i am mm-hmm. and i can be just as successful following their path and um again it's kind of like mentors like mentors to me yeah and, definitely you know help me help me realize that uh you know the stereotypes don't have to stay stereotypes mm-hmm have you seen, do you think you've seen those stereotypes, particularly in the springs, change over time, evolve? Or do you think there's just been like the stereotypes have sort of dissolved? Or do you think they're still there? Uh, you know, I think, I think obviously uh, as time goes by and, and uh, our, our whole world becomes more accepting of diversity mm-hmm. to an extent, obviously, but. Um, I think it's less than it used to be. Um, and I think like with Pride Fest, um, being here in the community, I think that's opened up a lot of people's eyes. To say It's not just about being gay or being lesbian, it's just about being different. And we want the world to be different. We want people to be different. I mean, why does everybody want to be the same? I don't want to be the same as you, you don't want to be the same as me. And um, I, think, I think that kind of helps uh, get us there, but, um, you know, some of the conversations I've had with some of my friends is that we all have our time. And I think the gay and lesbian community um, went through their time. And I think the focus shifts. Uh, and I, I think, really think the focus now is on the transgender mm-hmm. um, people because they're the ones that are now speaking out and be, trying to be themselves and finding their own identity. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of the, the focus from the community now is, is on the transgender people. And mm-hmm. I think maybe we've kind of gay lesbian taken a backseat to that. That's just my own personal opinion. But um, yeah, I think there's always somebody in society that uh, people are going to be focused on. You know, mm-hmm. you know, one time, you know, it was Jews and who, who's next, you know, and the blacks and you know, gays and lesbians. And so um, I, I think everybody has their time. But, um, you know, I, and I, I don't know, I just think, um, I do think the World Wide Web, the internet has really uh, shifted that tremendously because the communication, the information is there at our fingertips every day, all day long. So people are exposed to it constantly. Mm-hmm. And I think the exposure is really what helps because again, when I was growing up and I was in a small town, there was no exposure. So what you knew is what you knew or what you heard is what you heard. And that must be reality, if that's what you heard, that's what people are saying. So, um, so yeah, I really think that, uh, I do think things are shifting, personally. Mm-hmm. Do you think that when sort of the internet became more accessible, did that have a particular impact on, on your identity or community or was it something that sort of happened in the background? Um, I 
I would say it probably happened in the background, at least for me. I, I don't remember much about the internet really having an impact on my world at that time. Uh, it was very, very uh, much a positive for my business development, which mm -hmm. helped me and myself develop uh, farther along. But I don't think there was much at that time mm -hmm. um, that really impacted uh, the community in that respect. Mm -hmm. and, and going back to the, the, the changing of groups in, at their times, ha have you ever identified as certain as politically active or as an activist in, in that way and sort of perform um, activism for, for your group, would you say? Well, at one time I did, I did volunteer for the Inside Out Youth Group. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I, I really wanted to be a part of helping the, the, the youth, um, questioning youth, um, you know, help, help them get through whatever they, they were experiencing at the time. Because again, obviously I experienced some of that. So, you know, if there's anything you can do to help someone else, you know, um, I, I certainly wanted to. Um, I also, um, at the time uh, was involved with someone who was very active in the community. And so we did a lot of uh, performances at some local clubs um, and then did a lot of, um, we were involved with some of the, the Pride Fest activities. Uh, so I wouldn't say it was huge, but you know, I did do some. Yeah, every little bit in, you know, makes a difference. Yeah. Do, you, do you consider yourself currently politically engaged or active? Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, not not local locally, but you know, nationally, uh, mm -hmm. as far as voting and um, mm -hmm. you know, writing uh, groups and things like that. Yeah, definitely. Do you think there was any notable social political events in the springs that you remember, sort of sticking out or pertaining? Um, one that comes to mind for me is the the hate state speech and sort of the talk around, you know, the cake shop and, and creating things like that. Was there anything positive or negative socially or politically that stood out to you, that stands out to you as an event? Yeah. Uh, in the 90s, Amendment 2 mm -hmm. was focused on the family. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, but um, that was basically to, you know, uh, take away some of our rights. Uh, mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we did not think it was going to pass, but it did, and we were, you know, basically devastated. Took away some of the rights as far as employment protection and things like that. Um, so, uh, luckily, that was overturned. But yeah, that was a that was a huge statement to the community. I did not think our community at that time would have passed such a thing, and then that really, it was you know, it was a personal attack that most of us felt. Yeah, and, uh, I even had friends who voted for it at the time, and they were they were not they were not fully educated, I would say, um, because we talked about it afterwards. And one mm -hmm. of my friends says, "Well, you know, it's one of these things where people read things, and that's that's how they make their their minds up, right?" And she had read about you know special rights, and I'm like, "I don't want any more special rights than what you have. All I want is equal rights." I said, mm -hmm. "There's nothing special about me wanting to be married." or be with someone yeah. that I love, or have protections around my employment situation. I said, there's nothing special about that. And as we talked about it, she's like, you know, you're right. And she goes, and I'm sorry, mm -hmm. but you know. Yeah. But yeah, that was very, very powerful. Mm -hmm. um, Do you ever feel um, a burden having to, feeling as though you need to educate other people or do you take it more as an opportunity? How does that really affect you? Um, it's a good question. I've always, um, I've, I've had friends who are very, um, the militant uh, mm -hmm. educators and I'm not one of those people. Um, I'd rather teach people by showing them mm -hmm. and them learning through me that, you know, things are okay and things are normal. Um, so I'd rather, I'd rather, you know, just show them by example mm -hmm. that, um, you know, that we're all we're all the same, you know. The only thing that's different is that I love who I love, and you love who you love. There's nothing that, mm -hmm. that changes who we are as individuals. And 
Um, so yeah, I, I, I would rather teach that way. I, I think sometimes the in your face kind of education turns people off and actually makes things worse. Mm -hmm. It can. I it mean, can. We, we, need, we need both in our community, we do. Mm -hmm. um, even for any kind of situation, we need those that have the voice and those that have the, that lead by example. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, do you think Colorado Springs now, after you know experiencing events like that, with other events like you know equality and marriage happening, do you think that there's been more outreach or or community? I guess community wide outreach of LGBTQ plus individuals. Do they? Do you believe they have a good support network? Um, honestly, I have to say I don't really know. Um, mm -hmm. um, you know, I my, the last probably probably 15 years of my life, I really focused on my home and my family mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, my life with my wife. And so we're not very active in the community now. We're not, we're not out mm -hmm. involved in, in, in much uh, community-wise as far as the, the community. Mm -hmm. So um, I really don't know. Yeah. Do you think that, that you know, home, home life, you know, you know, settling down stage in your life has affected you in a way, or do you think it's just sort of, you know, your your natural path that everyone goes through that makes you inclined to live that way? You know, I, I think it's for me, it's it's my natural path. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, think I think everybody wants to settle down and have a family. Mm -hmm. Most people do, I should say. Um, so it, it to me, that's a natural progression and. So I'm in a situation where, um, you know, I have my family's accepting, my wife's family's accepting, uh, her, her folks live here in the Springs and um, are, are with us all the time. They're very accepting. Um, we have a circle of gay friends. We have a circle of straight friends. Um, we have a beautiful home um, and, I, so, yeah, I just think it's just it's just a perfect place to be, and I, I don't uh, I, I don't I guess I don't feel the need to to be much more outside of that than I mm -hmm. used to. Yeah, did you when you were younger or at any particular stage in your life did you feel empowered to be more more politically center stage or socially center stage? Or do you think you've always just had that lead by example, you know, path? Um, yeah, I would say for, for most of my life, it was more lead by example. But mm -hmm. um, there was a point in one of my relationships uh, in the 90s. I was in a 10-year relationship with someone who was um, a teacher here in District 11. So, um, again, we had some a circle of, you know, friends. But... You know, she wasn't out at school. A lot of them were not out in school. Um, and I was getting to the point where I did want to become back somewhat active in the community. Mm -hmm. But she was very about um, keeping things quiet and under the table. She didn't want me out in public when she was trying to, you know, protect her own situation. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of held back from that. Um, and then we split up in, in 2000. And uh, that's when I... Well, I, I, I was single for a little bit, but then I, that's when I met my next girlfriend who was very active in the community. And that's when I got out and started to uh, become involved and uh, did that for a few years. Um, uh, she, we, we, our, our relationship didn't last very long. She moved in California, but um, I continued to do things in the community for a while. Mm -hmm. But then <clears throat> that's when I met my, my wife now. You know, and uh, that's when we started to go down the path of creating our life. And I kind of backed off on the community and started to, to build our life together. Mm -hmm. How did you guys meet? Um, I had a small business at the time. She had a small business and we were in a, net, a business network group. And um, once a month, uh, the various owners would have a meeting at their location. And uh, she had a meeting at her restaurant. She owned a small uh, cafe. And uh, 
I, I just went to the meeting and, and uh, we happened to meet that night. And, uh, it was it was a connection. Um, she was in a relationship at the time, but uh, mm-hmm. it was kind of ending. Um, so you know, I just I, I wasn't going anywhere with it. But uh, once they ended it, then uh, we knew that we we hung out together and, and did things and started to develop a, a relationship. So yeah, it was, it was again through the community. The, yeah. It was the, um, it was, it was uh, the uh, gay and lesbian community of business owners. So, uh, so it was part of the community gathering that got us together. Mm-hmm. And, and you mentioned that sort of instant connection. Do you think it was sort of a love at first sight kind of thing? Or are you more of the mind that you, you build that connection, as you say, through hanging out? Um, for me, uh, I knew there was uh, something there when I met her mm-hmm. the first night, and I mean, I went home and even texted my sister and I said I just I just met somebody who captured my heart. Mm-hmm. But I knew when she said she told me that she had a, a partner, I didn't know if she meant business partner or a you know, relationship partner. So I was just I was just not going to go anywhere with it. So I, but I just knew that you know she really captured me. Um, where that went or where that was going to go, I didn't know. Um, so I wouldn't say it was love at first night, but I just knew she captured me somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, on her end, she was going through a difficult breakup period, mm-hmm. you know, and they were on the house. Um, and it was causing a lot of stress in the, in the restaurant too, because um, her ex worked there too. Mm-hmm. So I don't think she was emotionally prepared or ready to be uh, interested in someone else. So it took a little time for her to um do that you know there was more between us than what she saw initially yeah and how would you describe sort of your guys's current life now would you uh in terms of like who the members of your family sort of your lifestyle very normal (laughs) (laughs) um we have a wonderful relationship uh, Mm -hmm. still after 13 years um, we, we did have a union ceremony, uh, back when we couldn't get married in Colorado, uh, 2000, I think it was 2011, 2011. And then, uh, I think it was in 2015, we went down to Santa Fe to get married legally, mm-hmm. uh, with some friends and, uh, you know, we've just, uh, built a life around each other, um, supporting each other in work and uh you know, with family um we love to do things outdoors we, we camp a lot we kayak uh, we travel a lot um so um again just uh very easy very mm-hmm. easy very life. easy yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that's a, <laughs> sort of the dream for everybody yeah it took, oh, took me a while to get there but i'm there yeah <laughs> hope to, i hope to get there someday um could you share a little bit about things you currently feel passionate about you did a little bit with the outdoors and and sort of business is there any other hobbies that you keep up with maybe like arts and crafts mm-hmm. or or things like that yeah in fact um you know most of my career um again was in the high tech stuff and you know, in that industry, it's high stress, a lot of long hours. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of your personal interests sometimes take a backseat. So uh, in August of last year, um, I semi-retired. I, I got out of the industry um, after about 40 years of doing that. And uh, so I, I haven't been back to work yet. Robin is supporting us totally. Um, she's in a nice nice position so we can easily do that but um i started to get back into my crafts i have a a tool room downstairs outside the garage um and i build a lot of i love working with wood and stone so i've Mm -hmm. started doing a lot of wood and stone crafts and have been selling them and and, uh, i hope that's one of the things i hope to do in my retirement is is to uh you know have that little side that side deal going where I can do that and sell those either you know either on Etsy or or, or do them on the roadside or mm-hmm. have a little little rental space to do it but uh yeah so I'm building an inventory as we speak 
definitely a little product placement <laughs> um, yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, another thing I, we do we do have here at the house is a is an Airbnb. Oh, so um, you know that the home that we're in um, is was a gift to us uh, in respects that I was a caretaker for many years, and we are now co-owners in the house with the people that uh, owned it and built it. But um, we're on the west side and we're on two and a half acres overlooking the beautiful mountain range. Um, we have deer and wildlife here all the time and um the house is huge and there's a space in, in the north side of the, the house that was wasn't really being utilized and the house needs a lot of renovations so I told Robin I said um you know if we, if we want to do some renovations why don't we do up in the north side of the house first and then we can rent that out and anything that we get in return on that then we just renovate the rest of the house with it so it would be a form of income but at the same time helped us renovate a lot of that, the house so um, we've been doing that since 2016. And one of the things when I moved in here was like, this would be a beautiful place to have a, a B&B. But at the time, uh, you know, I was thinking the entirety B&B, but that was a lot of work. And then there was a lot of codes and things that had to get uh, approved. And I didn't want to go down that route. So I didn't do it for many years, but I, I wanted people to experience the beauty that we get to experience every day. Mm-hmm. And um, when Airbnb, concept first came out I said that's that's it right there we're going to use a part of the house and we're going to create a space for people to come mm-hmm. and enjoy what we get to enjoy every day it was it was gifted to us in that respect so I to me it was like I want to forward that gift to others mm-hmm. it's been beautiful yeah wow yeah that sounds amazing I I I'll have to look more into Airbnbs because I I find that industry so interesting mm-hmm. that's the way we that- travel now too yeah yeah, I've heard a lot about the um, that it's better than hotels, and so I was like, oh, yes. interesting." Yes. Um, sort of going back to sort of your your prior career in in tech, was there did you always have an interest in that, or what brought you to that field? Well, when I went to um, Syracuse, uh, I went to a business school, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do at the time. And again, um, you know. I, I did well in school. Uh, I did good in science and uh, um, I really, I really, I, and again, I loved animals and I really wanted to do something with science with uh, either research or something to do with animals. Um, but my mother was, even though she was very supportive, <laughs> very pushy um, about where she wa- what she wanted me to do, how she wanted to be there educate myself and she goes well all the other girls in town are you know working at doctor's offices and doing this and you know doing accounting and that kind of thing don't you want to do that it's like mm, I don't know I really really thinking about you know I don't like go to Cornell University or something so mm-hmm. no no you don't want to do that so you know she was kind of staring me I think again away from the abnormal direction <laughs> Uh, and trying to steer into that very stereotypical, you know, young woman career path, or if you want to call it a career. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I, I went to, to um, business school uh, for medical assisting. So when I got out, um, I was a podiatry assistant uh, in Binghamton, New York for about three years. But I knew that's not what I wanted to do. It's not where I wanted to go. I wasn't meeting people um because you know you work in a doctor's office that's all you meet is um and most patients there were elderly um and even the women that I worked in the office were my mother's age so I wasn't building any community uh, mm-hmm. I was very alone at the time so um that's when I decided okay I, I think I'm ready to go back and you know, move out to Colorado and start my life out there um so um what was your question again <laughs> it was just sort of how you got to that that tech field oh yeah so when I got out here um I didn't really know what I wanted to do and I put my application everywhere but this again is when this semiconductor industry was just taking off there was a huge facility on Garner Gods um Mm -hmm. and they were looking for because I don't know if you know much about the semiconductor industry but it's kind of like Intel where they make the wafers and the chips and you're mm-hmm. in a clean room environment. So you're dressed in a full white suit 
very sterile environment. It's cleaner than a um, operating room as far as particles and bacteria and all that. So um, they were looking for people who had experience in the medical field for that reason. Mm-hmm. People used to wearing masks, people used to wearing gloves, people working with, you know, isopropyl alcohol and, you know, instruments and things. So that's how I got started in that, uh, in that business. Um, and I loved it. I loved, I loved the work. I, it, was, it was, again, it was science-based. I got to learn about how uh, the whole process worked, equipment, uh, how different kinds of really super high-tech equipment worked and I got to work on the equipment. I got to um, move up into the engineering roles. So it's like that, that was more my forte. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I loved, I loved doing that. So yeah, it was a, Definitely. it was a fantastic move for me to get out of that small town for my personal life, but it was also a great move for my career path. Mm-hmm. Do you think the, the sort of development of Colorado Springs as a tech city and, and military city sort of, did that entice you at all? Or what, or did you, did that uh, affect, you know, your businesses at all? Um, did it entice me to work there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or stay here or. No, I, I just fell in love with Colorado. I just, mm-hmm. I mean, um, I just, again, I'm so outdoorsy that uh, I knew this is, this is where I wanted to be. Um, military, no, not really. Nothing mm-hmm. about military affected me or had any interest for me. But um, uh, I just happened to land in an industry that um, was was a large percentage of. Uh, uh, well, at one point we we're called uh, Silicon Mountain instead mm-hmm. of Silicon Valley in California. Uh, in the 80s, we, you know, just the industry took off and um, I happened to be in the right place uh, as far as career goes. And um, so, uh, I, no, I think it was just how things fell into place for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, sort of in, in, in overall, in, in your view of the future, do, what dreams do you have for the future in a broad sense for future generations of LGBTQ plus individuals, career, socially, politically? What, again, what was the first part of the question? Um, what, what dreams do you have or what do you hope comes to fruition for future generations of LGBTQ plus individuals? Well, again, I think uh, where our world is with, you know, uh, information access at our fingertips, uh, I'm hoping that uh, again that this will all all be um, something of the past somewhere in the future. That would be my dream. Um, I, I'm not sure we'll ever get there with okay. the way our world is. Um, again, if you I mean if you just look at the the black community, how long has that been going on uh, and still going on? I, I think there's always going to be uh, those who find the differences difficult bear but um I, I do think because you know we've made so much progress from the 60s and 70s or even before then i know there were people before me that you know had to be very positive um mm-hmm. I, I do think time helps us progress and uh and i think um i do see the younger generation very uh, much more accepting of others um, because I know uh, I was talking to a young gentleman and he said he even said you know a lot of us don't even care um, you know if you if you are bisexual or straight or gay or if I like you I like you mm-hmm. because I don't I want we don't want labels and so I'm hoping that the label part is is the part that you know we, we no longer have to deal with yeah, they sort of disappear and it, everybody is everybody makes sense. Yeah, and, and I, I do think, you know, we're still we're still struggling with, you know, like on the political side of things with some of the older generation that are still stuck in all that, where I think the, the, the younger generation is starting to, to help break down a lot of that because mm-hmm. they do, are, they are a lot more forgiving and a lot more accepting. Um, I, I see mm-hmm. that in a lot of young people, so um, kudos to you guys. <laughs> 
Yeah, hopefully <laughs> take it in stride and keep going. Yes, march forward. <laughs> yeah, keep going, march. If you could tell your child self one thing after sort of all of your experiences and growth, what would it be? The most important thing is to love who you are. Oh. No matter what anybody else tells you. Mm -hmm. As long as you have your self-love, I think you'll have your ability to carry forward. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And do you think that's a sentiment that goes for, for everybody or for particularly those who are different and are struggling or? Well, uh, you know, I know a lot of straight people um, who have their own personal struggles. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to say uh, just because, you know, we're a select community that's been struggling for years for something that's kind of um, on the sideline. Everybody has their struggles. And I think no matter who you are, um, the most important thing is, is your self-love because even if you're in a, in a bad um, family situation, you're abused mentally or physically, I know that that can break your soul. And if, if you can maintain your, your self-love, I, I think there's hope that you can get past the difficulties no matter what mm -hmm. they are. Yeah. And do you think that new challenges that, you know, all communities face, such as the pandemic, have altered, you know, how we interact with each other, how we, you know, think about like those labels, or do you think it's something that is, it, you know, it has the effects it has not necessarily social or political? I definitely think there's been a negative uh, response you know, as mm -hmm. far as the time, the isolation that we have from one, one another. Um, yeah, some of the political stuff that happened uh, during and just before the pandemic. Um, you know, even even against those who choose to wear a mask and those that don't. I mean, I think we've somehow um, become so aware of our differences more so than um, finding those things that we're all um, the same with. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know why that is so prevalent right now about standing up and standing against one another. Mm -hmm. But um, I definitely think the pandemic uh, did bring about a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, if you could give a message to all of the younger generation of LGBTQ plus community right now with current events, with all of your wisdom, what would you want to say? Um, stay strong, stay true to yourself. Um, you know, there's power in, in numbers, it takes mm -hmm. a village. Um, the world does change and it, it, things do get better. And if you wanna, if you wanna make the change, be part of it. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, as we sort of close down, do you have any remaining sentiments that you'd like to share? Um, no, I'm, I'm just very, again, thankful that you, you guys were willing to, to speak with me today and um, glad I could share some of my past life and hopefully something I've said will spark something in someone else. Yeah, definitely. I think the the legacy of every individual, whether they're, uh, you know, on the front lines or, or, you know, as a casual citizen makes a difference. And that's sort of what we're hoping to go for in documenting, you know, the legacies of everybody in the Springs. Yeah, um, that, was, that was one thing that I did, um, I did uh, state one time when I was with the uh, Inside Out Youth is that, you know, I, I, you may have heard it, but it says, you know, to, to the world, you're just one person, but to one person, you're the world. And you know, again, if anybody mm -hmm. can just make a difference in one person's life, that's that's really all you can ask for. Mm -hmm. And definitely hearing 
the stories outside of, you know, the small towns that you, you sort of grow up in and getting to hear those stories makes a huge difference. And, and those stories stick with you. And, and so, you know, those, those experiences definitely have, have made quaves, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, so thank you so much. We appreciate your time, presence, and story greatly. This has been Enna V. Hill and Sage Hamilton for the Colorado Springs LGBTQ plus oral history project hearing from Boo Colleen Gilligan. Thank you so much. Thank you. I do appreciate it. You guys take care. You too. Thank you. Bye -bye. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Appreciate it.